Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Thanks for joining me. Today's topic is The Lone Arranger Rides Again. A few weeks ago, we unmasked The Lone Arranger when we explored the common practice among car dealers of marking up interest rates on loans they arrange for new and used vehicles. This week, we will discuss how much you can safely afford to borrow when you buy a car, the pitfalls of seven- and eight-year loans, and how you can calculate the true cost of owning a vehicle. I will be joined first by Dennis Johnson, a credit counselor from St. Louis who deals with consumer financial and credit issues on a daily basis. Later in the show, Carol Locknett, features editor of Edmunds.com, will discuss the trend toward longer car loans, whether leasing is a good alternative to buying, and why a used car might be right for you. But before we dive into that, here is this week's auto news you might be able to use. Today marks the 40th anniversary of an event that would transform the vehicles we drive and how much we pay for gas. On October 17, 1973, the Arab oil embargo started, cutting off the flow of oil from the Middle East for about five months. When the embargo began, gas was 40 cents per gallon or less in most parts of the country, and the average car got around 12 miles per gallon. Among the changes that resulted are speed limits dropped to 55 miles per hour across the U.S., and on many roads they have remained at that level since then. The federal government began requiring fuel economy labels on new vehicles. Japanese brands began a steady climb in sales in the U.S. because they offered more fuel-efficient cars than the domestic companies. When the oil embargo started, Japanese brands sold about 13% of the vehicles in the U.S. Today, it is 37%. Though six-cylinder engines were common back then, V6 engines were not. Because of the oil embargo, Buick cut two cylinders off an old V8 and created the first truly mass-produced V6 engine. Other manufacturers soon followed with their own V6s. And General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler began downsizing their vehicles to achieve better fuel economy. That all started 40 years ago today with the Arab oil embargo. General Motors will offer a version of the Chevrolet Impala that can run on either gasoline or compressed natural gas. GEM CEO Dan Ackerson said at an event in Washington this week that the dual-fuel Impala would have two fuel tanks, one for gasoline, the other for natural gas, and that drivers will be able to switch between them at any time. GM says the dual-fuel Impala will have a total range of about 500 miles, 350 on gasoline and 150 on CNG. Prices weren't announced, but it is scheduled to go on sale next year as a 2015 model. Honda has sold a Civic model that runs only on compressed natural gas since 1998. 
and Ford started offering a CNG F-150 pickup this fall. But the Impala would be the first car that can switch from gasoline to CNG. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. We're talking today about car loans and the financial problems that consumers can encounter by borrowing more than they can afford or by taking a loan that stretches for seven or eight years. My guests today are Dennis Johnson, a credit counselor with Clearpoint Credit Counseling Solutions, and Carol Lochnett of auto information site Edmunds.com, who will join us later in the show. Dennis Johnson has been a credit counselor for more than 15 years. He deals face-to-face on a daily basis with consumers who are having financial and credit issues. Clearpoint Credit Counseling Solutions is a nonprofit based in Richmond, Virginia, and Dennis works in the St. Louis office. I interviewed him by phone earlier this week about issues he sees with his clients and suggestions he has for avoiding those potholes. Here is a tape of that interview. Dennis, uh, tell me, what are, are some of the most common credit issues that you see with your clients? Are they overloaded on credit cards? Their mortgage is too high? Do they have uh, car loans that they can't make? What are the most common issues? Uh, pretty much all three of those. and In fact, uh, uh, we see a, a lot of different issues. It just depends on the client's uh, situation. Uh, you see clients that are overloaded with credit card debt and, and may need to look at uh, repayment options. Um, we see with the uh, recession that took place, a lot of times mortgages, if, if a person was in an adjustable rate mortgage, now it's adjusting to a higher payment. Uh, we need to um, see if that loan, um, mortgage loan, can be refinanced or modified. Um, for car loans, uh, a lot of times people just don't um, look at their budget to see exactly what they can afford and might get uh, in a little bit over their head with a car loan. For those people that get uh, that have a very low income, uh, maybe they're um, uh, you know maybe they're turning to payday loans or other high risk loans uh, to try to compensate for um, uh, for income that sort of thing. So we, it runs the gamut here. Uh- Cars are generally described as the uh, second most expensive purchase that most people make. Where do uh, auto loans typically fit in with the clients you see? Is it one of their major expenses or, or just one of many? Uh, it's definitely a major expense. Um, one of the things that we try to do is um, also incorporate into the budget the maintenance and the fuel costs of that of that particular vehicle. Um, auto loans are, are uh, you know, we you know we're, we're driven to, so to speak to to try to, you know the, the car that we get is usually uh, an extension of our personality, and a lot of times people. Will will choose car loans based on um, what they want versus what they really need, and unfortunately, some people get into trouble with with car loans in that way. Car buying a car is often uh, a, an emotional decision, isn't it? Very much 
So, yeah, again, it, it goes back to an extension of our personality. So it's, it's very much emotional. Um, however, it is most likely a, uh, uh, an asset that de depreciates, and when you look at it in that way, then uh, it, it can look more like a, a, a need-based item rather than a, a want. I see. Right. Yeah, cars are guaranteed to uh, depreciate, unlike houses, for example. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, before that, that sometimes uh, consumers run into problems because they don't take into account the total cost of owning a vehicle. Could you talk a little bit more about that one, both in the, in, in, at the purchase stage and the ownership? Sure. Uh, at the purchase stage, uh, one of the things that the, the client needs to consider is things like sales tax and and and, uh, and other expenses, just uh, uh, in addition to the car loan. Um, so the sales tax, you know, the question that we would ask a client is, are you going to incorporate the sales tax uh, into the auto loan it, itself? Um, we look at the overall budget structure, um, and we do this more on housing counseling sessions than we do on, on just regular budget sessions. Um, but, for example, mortgages want your mortgage payment to be roughly about uh, 31 to 35% of your gross income. Uh, and when they look at the back-end debt ratio, and that would include things like uh, student loans, car loans, and everything else, uh, we really don't want that to be any more than about 45% of the client's gross income because if it gets to be more than that, then uh, that is a red flag that that client might have a potential payment problem later on down the road. Again, uh, the, the mortgage or housing payment was how much of a percentage? Thirty-one uh, percent of of the gross income. Okay, so and and the total is not uh, should not be more than forty-five percent. Correct. Wow, that doesn't leave a lot of money for the um, for a car payment, does it? Doesn't leave a lot. Doesn't leave a lot. That's one of the reasons why, um, if I'm counseling a couple, for example, uh, that's one of the reasons why I'll, I'll try, when I talk about car loans and car ownership, um, you know, we, if from a counseling standpoint, we would like to see a client have maybe an older, reliable vehicle that's not that doesn't have a payment, and then they're making a payment on one vehicle, and then when that other when when the payment vehicle gets completely paid off, then they can go and, and look at replacing the other uh, the other one. We really don't like to see two car payments in the budget at, at the same time uh, because those are fixed payments, and what they do is uh, when you add that into the mortgage and the other loan obligations, it really reduces the overall discretionary uh, uh, spending power for for that client. Right, and and for many people, though, more than one car uh, is a necessity to get to work. For example, isn't it? It, 
Uh, very much so. Yeah, it is a necessity. But again, if if you try to plan out your budget a, a little bit and and uh, take the car ownership as a separate uh, issue, um, hopefully at some point in time, even if that even if that couple or that those two clients have two car payments going on right now, maybe at some future point in time they can correct that to give them more more spendable income or more income where they can uh, put away for savings in their budget. Right. Now, now one way that I know consumers address the issue of uh, car payments, trying to keep them at a manageable level, is to stretch out the loan terms. And um, something like 12% of new vehicle loans today are for seven or eight years. And that is done because people say, well, I can only afford, say, $350 a month. And so the dealer or a lender says, well, we can do that. And you end up with a, you know, an 84 or, or, or 90-month loan. Uh, what about that? The, you know, these, these extended loan periods of seven or eight years? Certainly, uh, I would I would say that in some instances they, it may be necessary. However, uh, what we try to instill in the clients is if that loan is going to extend out past uh, five years or so, uh, there's going to be a lot more interest uh, that's going to accrue on that loan. Um, the other thing is that it's going to put uh, that that person, uh, that client, into more of a upside-down position uh, with that loan. Um, normally, uh, when, when a person has to extend out a car loan uh, for that long, as a counselor, it tells me two things. Number one is that that client probably is not saving for a down payment at all to mm-hmm. try to reduce the balance of, of the loan. Um, and number two, uh, they may be looking at a car that might be too expensive for them. Right, right. Uh, hard to um, uh, make a uh, informed decision on things like that in a dealer's showroom also. Very much so. Yeah, you have to plan this out well in advance of going and and uh, seeing a car dealer. Um, understand that the car dealer is is going to. Um, while they may have the very best intentions of servicing you uh, as a client very, very well, uh, they're there to sell you a product uh, and, and a service. And um, you have to live with the repercussions of that of that buying decision well after you leave that dealership. Um, and so you have to make sure that the payment falls within your budget. You have to make sure that uh, the uh, uh, that the uh, maintenance and the fuel costs are going to be able to be absorbed uh, into your budget as well. Uh, and uh, you have to make sure that it's the right purchasing decision of, of um, you know, for, for you or and, and or your family. We've been talking with Dennis Johnson of Clearpoint Credit Counseling Solutions. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion of car loans and credit issues. Please stay tuned.
More cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My first guest today is Dennis Johnson, a credit counselor with ClearPoint Credit Counseling Solutions, a nonprofit organization that serves clients nationally. I interviewed Dennis by phone er earlier this week. We will now return to a tape of that interview in which he talks about how consumers can avoid credit and financial problems from buying a vehicle. You mentioned uh, being upside down, and and for uh, listeners who... um I think most listeners know what that means, but it means you owe more on your vehicle than it's worth. And one I find disturbing statistic I saw recently is that 27% of vehicles being traded in, the owner is upside down on them. They owe more than the vehicle they're trading. Should they even be buying a new car? I think they could look at buying a new car even if you're upside down, but there's also some things that that you would need to consider. First of all, if you're trading in the vehicle uh, to the dealership, uh, remember that that dealership has to turn around and resell that vehicle. So they're not necessarily going to give you what the actual street value of the vehicle is. Excuse me, Dennis. They aren't going to give you what the yeah, street value is. <laughs> Period. <laughs> so you, you probably can get uh, more money for that vehicle uh, if you sell it uh, directly to another consumer. Um, so if uh, again, if you're trading it in into the dealer, you're not going to get as as much for it. Uh, but the other thing is, if you if you still owe on that loan, if you still owe on on an existing loan, and you are upside down. It's very possible that even if you try to sell it directly to a consumer, you may not be able to get enough money to pay off the loan. Right. So you still may have to come to the table with more money in order to get that the the title cleared on on that uh, on that transaction. Right, and this is, that's that's a good reason why a lot of consumers end up going to a dealer because they are better equipped to handle those things and they'll be able to come up with a longer loan term that can complete the deal, I think. Right, but and, and that's a very good point. And, but also the, the client has to, uh, the purchaser has to think ahead, though, because if that's the, the situation that they're in, that's going to immediately put them upside down on the next car loan as well. Right, right. And that's a uh, kind of a vicious cycle that you can get into. Oh, very much so, yes. Right. We're talking with Dennis Johnson, a credit counselor at ClearPoint Credit Counseling Services in St. Louis, and we're talking today about auto loans and how consumers can avoid getting into trouble by getting in over their head or just buying too much car. And um, on the uh, uh, subject of seven- and eight-year car loans, one uh, suggestion that I make to consumers is that you don't want to get into a loan that long because with most vehicles, 
the warranty will expire before the loan is paid off. And, and typically, through the first five or six years, you do routine maintenance. Maybe you have to replace a battery. Maybe you have to replace the tires. But after five or six years, you start getting into uh, repairs on, on, on the vehicle. And so uh, you'll be making a car payment and quite possibly paying for repairs at the same time. Very much so, yeah, and and that's one of the things that we try to incorporate in, into the budget uh, with the client. If a client. If a client has a newer vehicle, uh, obviously the maintenance costs are going to be uh, less, especially if, if the vehicle is under warranty. So that means that the client doesn't necessarily have to save as much money um, uh, for, for vehicle maintenance uh, as, as they would if the vehicle would be um, out of warranty and, and a much older vehicle. Um, you know, if you look at just some of the standard number, I mean, one of the things that you should do is look into the, some of the repair costs um, of certain things, like how much a transmission is uh, for, for that particular vehicle or a catalytic converter. Not to say that these kinds of major expenses will happen with every single car, but potentially if you're going to keep a car for 7, 8, 9, 10 years, um, there is going to be major uh, major work that's going to be done on, on the car. And so at some point in time, you need to start setting money aside uh, in order to cover Cover some of those costs, or else you're going to end up throwing money off of a credit card or something like that in order to pay for those repairs. Now, uh, consumers can find out from uh, credit counseling services such as ClearPoint how much car they can really afford before they buy the car, can't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, one of the services that we provide is uh, just uh, a budget and credit counseling, We uh, uh, and, and that's totally free of charge. Uh, the, um, the, uh, the budget counseling that we do will help them determine how much their, their car payment um, uh, that they can afford, and we can look at uh, certain types of um, percentages uh, that are Within the budget, for example, you know we don't. Uh, again, we don't want the, the housing cost to be much more than about 31% of the client's uh, gross income. And then when you incorporate all of the other debt, we don't want that to be more than about uh, 45%. So, um, so yeah, well, we can definitely help the client determine uh, how much of a car payment that they can actually uh, afford. Yes. Now on uh, ClearPoint's website, you also have a car cost calculator that is uh, that is quite detailed it not only talks about the uh, total price of the car but it mentions the sales tax the annual licensing fee and um, you know your your gasoline costs and and things like that it's pretty detailed it looks like Right. Yes, uh, and and we we will point uh, uh, people to that that website to help them uh, make that decision as as well as um, either um, telephone counseling that, that we do or um, or face to face counseling that we do. Now, now, uh, when when people uh, consider how much car they can afford. Uh, I would say in most cases they really don't look at these things or they don't uh, look at them honestly. Is that is that uh, your view? Well, 
I, I think what they do is is they're looking at the loan payment itself. Um, right. I, I do think that most people look at the loan payment. Um, and they've got a pretty good, a good idea of what they can uh, that they might be able to afford in that in that way. Uh, but I think that the the two main things that they uh, two or three things that they lack with their analysis when, before they make the purchase sometimes is they don't take into consideration the sales tax on the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they will look at fuel costs, uh, but again, uh, that that would be a, a, a Major, um, a major expense, and also the the overall cost of, of um, you know repairs and maintenance. So how much needs to be saved uh, monthly to cover that that expense, so that when it occurs, uh, you have the the money set aside to cover that expense. Right. I, uh, here in the Chicago area, sales tax rates vary by uh, where you live, but they're probably roughly nine to 10%. So on a $20,000 car, the purchase of sales tax alone is uh, is what? 1800 to $2,000. Right, 1800 to 2000, yeah. Yeah, and 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 we certainly can't control fuel costs. We don't can't control the pump price of gas. No, we don't control that. But uh, if you match up the type of car that you're going to get with your with your lifestyle and what your actual needs are, then I think that you can make a, a very informed buying decision in in, in that way. Um, also, when we talk to clients uh, about fuel costs as well, um, sometimes we'll, we'll get uh, depending on how in depth we need need to go is we'll talk to them about. Um, um, you know how they schedule out their their trips. Are there are there trips that they can uh, combine to reduce overall fuel costs and, and things like that? Right. Uh, you mentioned about uh, uh, people having a pretty good idea as to how much of a monthly loan payment they can afford. Is there a danger though in in shopping for a monthly payment, saying you know I, I can afford three hundred fifty dollars a month, and when a dealer hears that. That's a uh, indication that uh, they'll, the consumer will go for a deal, no matter what the loan terms are, if they can keep the payment roughly at 350 bucks a month. Correct. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, when when a when a client um, uh, the purchaser decides on on what they need to to, to spend per month, where where they have to cap what the payment's going to be, uh, then what I would suggest is they they go to um, you know they, they they can go to uh, um, um, that dealer's uh, uh, website. They can search out cars. Uh, most of the dealers now have um, uh, loan calculators just like banks and everything, right. uh, uh, just like bank websites do where uh, you can click on the loan calculators, find out what payment that you want. But you're exactly right. If you convey to that dealer uh, how much money that you're wanting to, uh, that you feel like you can uh, spend, then what their job is going to be is they're going to try to get you in, in the car that you want with the loan constructed to where it's it's going to meet that that payment obligation or that that payment that you 
you're that you're telling the dealer that you can afford, um, rather than looking for a vehicle that that you possibly need, and um, uh, and and then maybe trying to to get that payment a little bit lower than what the the maximum amount is that you feel like you can afford. Right. You know, you mentioned these these loan calculators. We discussed them a little bit earlier, but. Uh, the loan calculators uh, generally that you see online for banks and car dealers and elsewhere, you'd say, you know, how much you're going to borrow, what the interest rate is, and how long, you know, the loan will be, and it calculates a monthly payment. Clearpoint's uh, uh, car cost calculator actually goes into the ownership costs, not just how much a loan payment will be, correct? That is correct, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a different approach, and it also there's space there for you to even compare two vehicles. So it's more more detailed. Yes, very much so. Right, and um, we talked earlier uh, earlier about some of the things uh, you mentioned. The term red flag. What are some of the red flags for consumers that you would wave if someone came in and talked to you about? Uh, what their ideas or plans were for buying a vehicle. What what warnings would you see? Well, I would basically talk to them about what they feel that they need, mm-hmm. and then try to yeah, what, what they need. I mean, what, what's their family size? You know, how old are the kids? Um, you know, uh, what are they going to be using the vehicle for? Um, how many miles are, are, are they going to be driving? That sort of thing. Um, and, and, and then you know we can you know we can kind of narrow down some options for them uh, based on on, on what uh, you know what their answers are to those questions. What you really want to do is you know again since since a vehicle is uh, an asset that depreciates, one of the things that I try to instill in, in my clients is the fact that you're not going to own. Chances are that you're not going to own that car forever. It's not going to be a, a classic vehicle in any sense of the word. Right. So, um, at some point in time, that asset is going to completely disappear uh, uh, fr- from you. So, you know what? You, you know, choosing the vehicle that meets your needs is more important than than what a, a want is. Right. I, I I can see where somebody's already always longed for a BMW. But what uh, with two or three children, what they really need is a minivan. So you don't want emotions to take over that decision, do you? No, very much. Uh, yeah, very, very much. So you want it to be a, a practical, well thought out decision, um, so that uh, you know, so that it, it doesn't interfere with anything else uh, that the client uh, needs to do later later on down the road. I mean, some of the things that that and it's not just the car payment itself, but let's say that somebody does get overextended. Let's say that they did choose a vehicle that was. Really, a a a want instead of a, a a need. Let's say that somebody does go out and spend you know fifty thousand dollars on on a BMW or a Mercedes or something like that, but that's really not what their uh, immediate needs were. The, the thing that impacts that client later on after that purchase just isn't making that 
uh, monthly payment on that loan. But if it overextends them with their budget, then it could cause them to use credit cards more for things that they would normally pay cash for. Yeah. And and so then it can it can have a ripple effect to other types of debt. Right. And and that that's the, that's the danger by not uh, by not making the car purchase a a, a correct uh, de- decision. Yeah, we we need to uh, purchase vehicles with our heads, not with our hearts. Very much so. Yes. This has been uh, Dennis Johnson from Clearpoint Credit Counseling Services in uh, St. Louis discussing some of the things you should consider when buying a vehicle and taking out a loan. Dennis, thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your thoughts on this. Thank you for having me. We have to take another break here, and when we come back, we will be joined by Carol Locknett of Edmunds.com, the popular automotive information site. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. Today's topic is The Lone Arranger Rides Again. We've been discussing how you can balance your automotive needs with what you can afford and buy with your brain instead of with your heart. I'm now joined on the phone by Carol Locknett, Features Editor of Edmunds.com, the well-known automotive information site. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thanks, Rick. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us today. Carol, the, the average loan term is now 64 or 65 months, and about 12% of vehicle loans today are for seven or eight years. Ideally, how long should a new car loan be? Well, Edmunds recommends a five-year loan, and for many of the reasons that Dennis just outlined, um, it's, it's you're not going to overspend in terms of your finance charges. You're going to have uh, more time with the car being under warranty than if you start to drag it out into those longer, longer lo- loan terms. So um, even though uh, people are looking to get more car for less money and a longer loan lets them do that, it, and it sounds logical at the outset, it's really not a, the smartest financial decision to make. One of the things I, I noticed on your website uh, is, if I was reading it correctly, is that basically uh, when you are tied into a, say, seven- or eight-year loan, you might get tired of that car long before it's paid for, Correct. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we're kind of an impatient society. And if you've, particularly if you haven't totally researched the car at the outset and, you know, you sort of, it's sort of like they say about marriage, you know, buy in haste and repent at leisure. You, you may find yourself <laughs> with a car that, you know, seemed great in the first year and it's, it's, and you just begin to sort of get worn down by its, its shortcomings. I mean, that's probably not the, best reason to have a shorter car loan. Uh, You know, you should have a more thoughtful buying decision first. But um, the other thing that I think that we're thinking about with longer loans is, particularly as we see a a faster pace of technology changes in cars, if you're in a seven-year loan and you're stuck with a car, you may find yourself sort of being in the shoes of someone who has a a sort of an antique smartphone (laughs) or not-so-smartphone. You know, newer cars are getting more... um, 
uh, technology-based safety features, uh, their their interconnectivity with uh, the internet, and and sort of you know, uh, music services, news services, traffic services are all going to be outstripped by cars as they come on the market with with a little more agile and able to have you know better and faster technology uh, additions. Right. Uh, in the last uh, few years, I think an example of that is Bluetooth. It's now ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. I mean, just about yep. every car has it. And, and five years ago, it was a rare item. Exactly. And and I, I, I see the pace of these kinds of changes coming faster and also the migration of what might be sort of expensive um, safety features now coming now into less expensive cars. So you're starting to see cars with blind spot warning systems that didn't have them a couple of years ago. There's just all kinds of things that are coming online that you may be, you know, sort of stuck in your longer, your longer loan and not being able to take advantage of them. And as Dennis pointed out, the temptation then is to get out of the loan and then roll that balance over into the next loan, and then you're even further behind eight ball, financially speaking. Right. Uh, leasing has uh, grown to about 26% of uh, new vehicle market. What about that as an alternative? Because that feeds into what you said about the uh, keeping up with technology changes. You know, leasing is really interesting. Um we uh, had an interview or an article actually in the New York Times not long ago based on um, a, a set of calculations that my colleague Phil Reed did about mm-hmm. the cost of buying versus leasing versus buying used. And the response was incredible, and it would almost turned into an argument over you would think religion or politics. You know <laughs> that <laughs> there are there are people who are super pro leasing, there are people who are super anti leasing, and it, leasing is neither a good nor a bad thing. It you just need to think about what you're doing and how you're going to do it. Uh, leasing does enable people to get into to get more car for less money. That's certainly true. Um, it also removes a lot of the the angst that you may have about the upkeep of the car in that it's under warranty. You know, you, you right. have the car essentially that's sort of like tracking the length of the warranty. So you're not going to be in a situation where you're in a car that's come off warranty now after, you know, three years and now you suddenly you're confronted with very expensive maintenance or repair costs. Those are all assets to leasing. Um, the downside to leasing is that you come off of a lease and you don't have anything as you would if you'd purchased the car to parlay into the next vehicle acquisition. You don't have any equity, in other words. Right. So, um, but you know, we live in sort of a society where I think a lot of people are really not thinking that much about equity right now. People lost, you know, they got negative equity uh, in their homes a few years ago. People don't hang on to their smartphones for very long, again, because of the turn in technology. We're very used to being sort of a pay-as-you-go society, and I think leasing reflects that. Hmm. You know, I, you made the, the point about the smartphones in an email uh, message to me earlier today. I thought that was a uh, interesting observation is that, what is it, every two years max you go get a new smartphone. Uh, yep. People actually may be thinking that way with cars. I think generationally they absolutely are. Mm. Yeah, they, they absolutely are. So, you know, and that's fine. Uh, you just need to, you know, you need to take a step back and think about what the ramifications are for you financially. Um, 
if you can find your way to kind of, you know, get out of that stream, and that's the catch, right? Because once you're into leasing, then you kind of tend to stay in leasing because you don't really have any place else to go. <laughs> but uh, so that's a little bit of a trap. Um, but you know, if you if you can sit and look at the numbers as as Phil did, and he laid out when he laid out that story, they they really are sort of eye opening. And um, there is something to be said, and I guess I'm old school in this regard for having a car where you don't have to make a car payment. Think of the things you can do with that extra $300 or $400 a month. Oh, I have no problem coming up with uh, ideas. For <laughs> um, right. Could you just uh, kind of outline some of the major conclusions to that uh, comparison of leasing versus buying and, and used cars? Sure. Um, you know, it's not going to be very shocking for anybody to understand that, that it's actually, when all is said and done, it's going to be cheaper to buy a used car. I mean, that's sort of self-evident, I suppose. Um, but, but there are higher have, higher risks? Well, there are, I guess, in the sense of, you know, you may find yourself in a situation where you're uh, having to uh, bear the cost of, of, you know, maintenance or unexpected repairs and so forth. Mm-hmm. Those might be offset, though, by cheaper insurance, for example. Um, when you're leasing a car, you're going to be required to have some insurance coverages that are higher than you would uh, perhaps choose to have if you were insuring a used car. Uh-huh. So. So you kind of have to run the numbers in a couple of different ways. Um, the bottom line for us, and this we were looking at a six-year cycle, um, the total out-of-pocket costs, and I'm cutting right, right to the bottom line here, uh-huh. so the, the article is quite detailed, but total out-of-pocket costs for a leased car uh, were $24,768. We chose a specific car to base this calculation on. Uh, if you That new car, the total out-of-pocket cost would be $17,830, buying used $15,976. Wow. Uh, $15,976. So the person who leased this Accord in our, in our example paid almost $7,000 more to drive it for six years than did the new car buyer. Buying a used Accord uh, saved just about $1,800 more during the same cycle. So the real cost, in other words, is associated with leasing, even by a greater degree than buying. Okay. Um, the cheapest, cheapest is buying used, but even buying new doesn't look so bad in comparison to that. No, it doesn't. Uh, that's very interesting. And, uh, Carol, we have to uh, pause here for one more break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on how much you can afford to spend on a car. Stay with us, please. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My guest is Carol Lochnett, Features Editor of Edmunds.com. We're talking about auto loans and how much car you can afford. And if you have a question or comment, please call us at 888-463-6748. Again, that is 888-463-6748. Before the break, Carol, uh, we were talking about the recent article that uh, Edmunds.com did for the New York Times on comparing the cost of leasing a vehicle versus uh, buying a new one and or uh, buying a used one. And the round numbers for a Honda Accord were over a six-year period. Leasing cost roughly 25000 Buying a new one cost 18000 And buying a used one about 16000 So clearly... Right. 
leasing is the more expensive, most expensive choice. Mm-hmm. Yet that seems to be growing. Are people leasing cars for the wrong reason? Hmm. Now we're getting into the realm of religion and politics. <laughs> uh oh! I opened a can of worms. And, um, and I asked that because there are a whole slew of lease office, uh, offers out there of two thousand dollars down and one hundred ninety nine bucks a month. They're everywhere. Yep, yep they know. are. Um, I would I would sort of uh, try to gracefully sidestep uh, <laughs> the wrong reason question. I think you know you you, you have to shop carefully for a lease. And look at the fine print and understand what's being offered in the lease. And then, you know, it, there are, as you say, good deals out there. And, you know, people, I think, you know, could certainly take advantage of them. What we recommend is um, sort of starting at the place of look at what the lease specials are. Rather than trying to set your heart on a car and then go find a lease mm-hmm. for it, better to go to the beginning of the process and say, what lease specials are now available. We have those on Edmunds all the time. And so what you're looking for is what's called a subvented lease, which means basically the manufacturer is is putting some price supports underneath uh, the, the lease and you're getting it for less money that way. So look for the lease specials first um, and then begin your process from that. Uh, and because you can find some really great deals out there, just as you said, and, and these are not ones that are necessarily tricky. They really are a good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, they have reasonable mileage caps. They have reasonable monthly payments. There's not a lot due at least signing. And and if if it if you could check all those boxes, um, then check it out. So what we do recommend, though, is that you look for some specific things which will not hamstring you so much when you're in a lease. For example, the look at the length of the lease in months. We recommend 36 months. There are one-year leases out there. There are particularly for more exotic cars. Um, so, you know, that's not necessarily a reasonable amount of time. The other uh, item that you really need to pay attention to these days is the number of miles allowed each year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the typical one is 12,000, but you can see leases now that are for just for 10,000 miles. Well, the problem is if you go in assuming you're going to get 12 and you really get 10, because then you're going to have to pay per mile over that. So better to know up front what the mileage is. And if you want to then buy more miles, you could certainly do that. Um, you want to know what the monthly payment is, including taxes and all fees. Frequently, that is what is not included in the advertised price. Right. You know, that's usually the stuff that's in the fine print. Um, you want to make sure, and I think it's pretty common, is that there is gap insurance in the lease contract. Then that's the insurance that protects you in the event that the car's you know badly damaged and you and you would be in a situation where you wind up owing more on it than it was worth. So gap insurance keeps you from being in that situation in a leased car. Um, you also want to look at the amount due on signing. We recommend no money down. No money down. Why is that? Well, you just don't want to invest that much in the car up front. Um, but, you, you know, I would then put on your negotiating cap and see what you can do about trying to trying to accomplish that. You may, you know, you may have to uh, rejigger some other terms of the lease in order to get the, the dealer to go along with you on that. Uh, but they are negotiable. Some dealers are negotiable. <laughs> okay, all right. It sort of depends on how much they want to put you in that car at that moment. If it's something that they really are trying to, to do deals on, 
Um, now is a particularly interesting time of year. For example, uh, you're you know we're we're at that sort of tipping point between 2013s and 2014s, and um, it would I'm sure dealers are highly motivated to get those 2013s off the lot. And the closer we get to the end of the year, you sort of get to the triple witching hour. It's the end of the year. It's the end of the model year, and maybe you're lucky, and it's actually even end of that car's life cycle. In which case, you could really score a great deal. That's the uh, trifecta. It is <laughs> for a car buyer. Uh, Edmunds.com, of course, has a uh, a loan calculator, just you know, like every other uh, information website. But you also have a car cost calculator. Is that uh, that is more? We have a couple different calculators. Yeah. Um, the one, so if you're sort of, uh, I've done this myself. This is really handy. So first off, there's we have a calculator called How much car can I afford? Right. Which can sort of help you get a reality check about you know what what you're going to be paying each month and can you afford it? The other calculator that I really like is called True Cost to Own. And this may be something similar to what Dennis was describing, but what it is is it's, it's basically telling you uh, what is the car going to cost you over its life. Um, it goes through through a five-year cycle showing you what the car is going to cost in terms of its depreciation, taxes and fees, financing charge, fuel costs, insurance, maintenance, and repairs, and then any tax credits if you happen to be in one of those EVs or hybrid uh, plug-in hybrid cars for which there are tax credits. So you can look down the road and begin to see um, where cars uh, have strengths and weaknesses um, in the future. For example, lots of cars these days have maintenance plans built into them. And you can sort of begin to size up one car against the other uh, in terms of how much is it going to cost you to maintain this car. Maybe car A has uh, you know, a maintenance plan that includes all kinds of things, oil changes, brake pads, just there's all kinds of things that are now being included by some manufacturers versus car B, which doesn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. So it's a way, it's kind of like a crystal ball for, for you to see what your car is going to cost you in the future, not just what it's going to cost your budget right now when you're sort of penciling out you know, the purchase of the car. There are other things, other expenses associated with the cars other than just buying it. Can you localize uh, that calculator by uh, uh, state or, or zip code or? It's localized by zip code. Ah. Yep. So, you know, the insurance is kind of ballparking it because we don't know your age or your gender or your driving history. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we can sort of get you closer to what your insurance is going to cost than uh, than not. Mm-hmm. I, see. I love it. I think it's like uh, it's a tremendous tool, and I think it's sort of underutilized. Yeah. Any Any big winners that you can point out as far as cost? It sort of depends on the car set you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that the uh, it really bears looking at uh, cars that are offered with 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 maintenance plans because that can really um, account for some changes in the subsequent years of ownership. Um, you know, depreciation is another thing. I guess if you if you're looking towards the end of the car's life cycle when you're going to sell it, you may want to look to cars that hold their value better um, and. You know, those you can kind of see which which ones are taking a terrible dip and dump mm-hmm. a couple of years into their life versus those who really sort of hold the line like Hondas and, and so forth. Yeah, I guess on my part would be that the Toyota Prius is uh, one of the lower cost to own. Just a guess. Um, I think it is. I, I, again, I would have to sort of call up its numbers and compare it to something else. Um, but. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I think they're holding their value, for example. Right. That's that. That and was I, that, yeah. and the, the lower fuel costs. So, uh, yep. Hey, most car buyers uh, arrange their financing through car dealers. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are the drawbacks to that, and what would you suggest about looking elsewhere? It's only a drawback if you don't know whether or not it's a good deal. And the only way to know that for sure is to get pre-approved for your car loan elsewhere. So you can do that through a bank, through a credit union. Um, but, you know, if you do that part first, then you have the loan in your hip pocket. Then if you're at a dealership and you've negotiated a, a car purchase and you're offered their financing, then you can say, okay, tell me what you've got. And then you'll know for sure whether that's a good deal for you because you already have a loan to compare it to. Right, right. A few weeks ago, did a show on um, the common practice among dealers of marking up interest rates, and mm-hmm. there's uh, the federal agency, the Consumer Finance uh, Financial Protection Bureau, is looking into that, mm-hmm. and uh, so that practice might change over time. But uh, right. I'm, I'm I'm rather surprised that more car buyers don't shop for a loan before they uh, shop for a vehicle. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think our he- our hearts run away with our heads when we're shopping for cars sometimes. Mm-hmm. You get caught up in the thrill of a new car. Um, you know, it can, it's a very, it's a heady, it's a heady purchase. You know, yes. it's exciting. It's, it's can, you know, feel like you own the world if you own the road. So people just need to kind of chill out a little bit and think a little more practically. Um, you were talking about people buying cars that they want, but not the cars that they need. Right. And that's, you know, just not kind of sussing out what is available in the way of financing, um, you know, is, is part and parcel of that. Let's face it, it's not sexy or fun to go shopping for a car loan. <laughs> you know, it's not like buying a new pair of shoes. You don't get a big thrill out of going and getting financing. But it, it, um, it will definitely uh, put you in, in a stronger position when you're going to, to, to the dealership. And, you know, people, you need to know what your credit status is, too. You know, I mean, you don't want to get blindsided at a dealership by finding out that you have lousy credit. That is True. not the time to make that discovery, you know, that you have some blot on your on your credit history. Uh, all of us as consumers have the right to uh, to review our, to get a, a copy, a free copy of our credit reports annually. And we should do that and just kind of see where we stand. Hmm. You know, here I am, the uh, self-professed uh, consumer advisor, and, and when I consider cars, I find myself, you know, uh, uh, looking at, starting out looking at, say, the equivalent of an Accord LX and say, you know what, the EX has all these other things, though. Right, right. <laughs> and, and you right. keep looking at that, and, and the more you look and you see that all these features are available, it makes mm-hmm. you want to buy the higher-priced version. That's true. Um, sort of reining in your desire to have every gadget is hard. It's very difficult to do. Um, you know, I mean, if you can afford the gadgets, go for it. But okay. If you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. You know, yeah. another... I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, sure. we're uh, running out of time here, Carol. But thank you very much for joining us uh, and, and uh, spending time to talk about uh, this very interesting subject about buying a car and oh thank you all right that was uh carol locknut of edmunds.com and that is all the time we have for this week's show join us next week when we will explore another important topic that could save you money on buying and owning a vehicle 
Until then, please visit my website, carstrucksandbucks.com, for more information about next week's show, news updates, and vehicle reviews. Thanks again to today's guests, Dennis Johnson of Clearpoint Credit Counseling Solutions and Carol Locknett of Edmunds.com. And thanks to you for listening. So long, everyone. <laughs>